Hello, church. Hello, friends. In this space, in the sanctuary at True Worth, wherever you're watching, hello. It's good to be with you today. <clears throat> My name is Jeff Gale. If we haven't met, I'm, I have the privilege and honor to be part of this amazing team here at Pathway. And uh, <clears throat> as we watch that video, you know, God has given us all this day. And yet each one of us experience it differently. As we see each other in this space, as we move by each other in, in, in church, in the world, <clears throat> let's be sensitive in remembering that each of us have a story. Each of us have a struggle. Each of us have an experience that is uniquely our own. And I would encourage us to open our eyes to those around us and the experiences that they're having. In our community right now, we have a lot of people grieving. We've had a, a, a series of deaths. We've have, had a slew of funerals recently in our church, and tomorrow we have three of them, three funerals in a day. And two of those who have passed were under the age of 20. And so our community is rocked. There are people hurting whose lives have been turned upside down. And uh, I think it would just be right if we took a moment to uh, pause and before diving in, just lift up a prayer to God for these, these folks who are hurting. So let's pray. So God, we never know what a day will bring. And um, we know right now that there are families and friends and people in our community who are, who are deeply grieved uh, in losing their loved ones. We know that uh, they feel lost, confused, and they're having a hard time seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And so, God, we would just ask that your uh, warmth be present to them, that they might experience that warmth in your presence, that you might wrap your loving arms around them and carry them through this difficult season, and that you equip us as a faith community to wrap our arms around them, too, so that they might know your love and might come to find hope again, and especially hope in you. So carry them, fill them with your spirit, and grant them light that they might look ahead and find you in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Chris Bohan got to stand before you as I am now, and, and he shared with you a, a message of uh, teaching how the church is this worshiping body. And that in our worship, we connect with God in a, in a profound and wonderful way. We uh, come together as, as a people, but we are identified as one. And he shared stories of people who had tremendous life change and, and were impacted by you, the faith community. And if, if you were moved or touched, uh, I don't know what, what it would take because I remember just, just hearing that message and just being flooded with, with gratitude and emotion for, for what God is doing and what God has done in the lives of people through this faith community. And I'm honored to be with you and a part of it. He was talking about, in our, in our series right now, uh, we could do more together. He was focusing on worship. Today we move from worship to grow. And the stories that he shared were evidence that the impact that people have 
in the life of the church usually come through the context of a relationship of some sort. So we teach in the church that, that God is love, based on 1 John uh, chapter 4. And God is love, and that, that where do we experience love? In the context of relationships, right? So if we want to experience God's love, we most often experience that through relationships, and that's why our primary work together is connecting people to people and people to God. And you hear these stories that were shared and, and how life changed for them because they caught a glimpse of God. But friends, that's all we get. We only get a glimpse, a moment here and there of who and what God is. If you need a Bible, we're going to be looking at a couple of passages today. Raise your hand. Our host will get one to you in your hands. But I want us to, to think about when it was that you experienced God in a certain way, and, and what did that look like for you? What did that feel like for you? And as you go to that place in your mind, I want you to realize that even that experience was just a hint of what really is. I want us to start in our scriptures. We're going to continue in 1 Corinthians. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and look at what verse 12 says in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read a different version that's than what might be in your hands or what might be on this slide. I'm reading from the NRSV because I like the word it uses in describing the mirror. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror, and my version says dimly, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So these glimpses you see, these, these moments of, of inspiration, of aha, of, oh, God, that's you. They're fleeting, but they're not even full and complete. But if they are occurring primarily in the context of relationship, we really need to look at that. And what we're talking about is growing, but not just growing, growing together, because that's where the magic happens. That's where the God experience happens for us. I want to uh, give a little bit of a plug, you know, because we're talking about growing together. Uh, it is almost Labor Day weekend. Next weekend is Labor Day weekend. In summer, in the church, things are going to be kicking off. We're going to there are classes and groups that, that are, are kicking off, and you have an opportunity, pardon the commercial, to go to the Welcome Center or the Next Steps area, part of the Welcome Center, or get online and look at the classes that are being offered. Check them out and sign up for one. Get connected into a class because this is where we dive into the learning and the knowledge. And we've talked before that there are 25 factors that lead to spiritual growth in a person's life. And we've talked about how reading the Bible every day is, is one of the most important activities you can do because the most important factor in your spiritual growth is reflection on Scripture. And you've got to read Scripture to be able to reflect on that. Now, we've talked about that. And we're talking about growing today. We're not going to dive into the 25 factors of spiritual growth because there's a more primary work that we need to be about. But before I get to that, I told you about the classes and how do you get connected? You go to the Next Steps area in the, at the Welcome Center or you go online. Also, small groups are starting up. 
And some of our groups meet year-round, so y'all are going, but others are seasonal. And if you're not in a small group this fall, I'm telling you now, you want to be part of a small group this fall. We are in a historical time in the life of our church, and so much of what is coming this fall will be disseminated through our small groups. So you really want to make sure you're part of one. We have about 70 of them, but we still say the best way to have a strong, long-lasting small group is to get a couple of your friends and start one together. That's the way to do it if you want the best success that we've found. If you're not inclined to do that, and we help you do that, by the way, if you're not inclined to do that, we have what we call first groups. And first groups are groups for you as you're starting out trying to find your group to land to, to get started until you find your ultimate group. So the small group series this fall is going to be in October. You want to be in a group by October. And if your group doesn't do the series typically, you want to do the series this, this time. All right, one more thing in this commercial, and then I'm going to move on. Small group leaders. If you're a leader of a small group, you want to be watchful because at the end of September, I think it's going to be September 25th, but we'll let you know for sure, we're going to have a gathering of our small group leaders so that you can be uh, informed and equipped and, and in the know of what is coming in that series. So as you move through your, uh, your group together with this, you'll be uh, understanding and in the know. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time together. If you've ever thought about starting a group, uh, this would be a great time to do it. So just so you know, that's coming. And uh, it's what we do when we talk about growing together in our faith. But like I said, there's something more primary than that growing together concurrently, and that is growing together. If our experience of God happens most profoundly in the context of our relationships, it makes sense to want our relationships to be as strong as possible. If our eyes are not healthy, we cannot see clearly. And relationships are sort of like the eyes of our faith, where we get to experience God. So we want them to be healthy and strong so that we can grow in the faith. We grow together so we can grow together. But relationships, <laughs> preaching to the choir, are hard. We know this. If you're in a relationship, whether you're married or, or another relationship or a friendship, they are hard, and it takes work. And there are certain barriers that I want to look at. You know, our relationships in life are one thing. Our relationships in, in the church are especially important for our spiritual growth. They are critical to our spiritual growth. And we read things like, um, uh, you know, Christians, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Or scriptures that say things like, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. Yeah, okay, I get that. But we're going to look in a little bit of how we're being challenged 
in our world and our culture in those understandings. Because there are barriers that keep us from being the light in the world and the salt of the earth. Um, so let's look at a few barriers to our relationships. The first is language barriers. Language barriers. And I'm going to say a language barrier is anything that keeps us from understanding or being understood by another. I'm now in my 14th year of serving here, and i got to say, I, I am in awe of what I have seen over the last uh, 13 and a half, 14 years, how God has moved in this place, how God has moved among you, how I have changed, how I have grown. I just give such thanks to God for the privilege of being part of this faith community together with you. Uh, it, is, it is stunning what I am seeing. I, when I first got here, um, you know, we didn't have a big staff. It was just Rick and Judy, pretty much. And, and when I got here, Rick and I were the only ordained ministers. And it wasn't long, though, that uh, Judy Madden got on the ordination track and, and became ordained. Alan Mink came on staff, and, and he got on the ordination track. And then we had Chris Bohan get on the ordination track, Cheyenne Davis on the ordination track, Kevin Bulgarelli on the ordination track, Dave Tucker on the ordination track, Justin Westfall about to be on the ordination track. I mean, person after person after person, and I, I'm just stunned because this is not typical of churches, friends. We, I am in awe of how this community continues to produce these leaders in ministry, and I'm not just talking about pastoral leaders, but leaders across the board in every area of ministry. You have shown me that you get it, what it means to grow. And the conversations that I've had over the years, people come up to me and they say, hey, Jeff, I, I, I really want to talk to you because I think I'm, uh, I want to go to seminary. And I say, what for? And they say, because I want to be a minister. And what do I say? Well, you're already a minister. You're already a minister. You don't need to go to seminary to be a minister. But we continue in the conversation, and, and what, what comes to light and what's consistent in these, in these conversations is that they have this hunger. They have a hunger to learn and to grow and, and, and a desire to understand the things of our faith. They want to grow in their knowledge and understanding of Scripture and, and what it means to be the church together and leadership in the church. And I get that, because whenever we want to learn something, whenever we want to come to understand it, we dive into it, right? And if you want to learn something, if you want to come to understand it, it really is, uh, it can be reduced to, to the language of it, the vocabulary of it. I mean, if you go to law school, you don't come out of law school after three years knowing every law in the books that, that's ever been, right? I mean, you learn a language that allows you to navigate in the world of law. Same with medicine, same with theology, same with engineering, same with math. I mean, you name the area, the subject, and that's what you do. You learn the vocabulary so you can put thoughts and ideas and connect them together and have an understanding of the thing. So I get that. But the language of the faith it's so different. And it's tricky because the language of the faith, like, let's go back to math. I mean, if you throw yourself into the language of mathematics, you get two plus two is four, and does anybody want to dispute that? 
Don't. <laughs> two plus two is four. You, 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 you master mathematics, and you can apply math to things in the world directly. And you can navigate the, the, through the world in a certain way where your peers will be, uh, have great respect for you because of what you can do with what you've learned. Your expertise of the language makes you effective in that field. But the language of faith is so different because you can learn all there is to learn about the faith. You can learn all there is to know about Scripture and, and, and all of that. And you can be, be a Ph.D. In, in seminary studies and not get it at all. That's what makes it so different. Because there's something else to our faith and the language in it that makes us be able to connect. And go back to 1 Corinthians 13. This time, look, look at uh, verses 1 through 3. And again, I'm reading a little bit different version. What does Paul say? He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have what? Love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and I hand my body over so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see, maybe you've memorized the Bible, and you're one of those who quote it all the time, throwing a verse in in every sense when you're communicating to somebody so they know how well you know the Bible. Maybe you know everything there is to know about church history and church government, law and leadership and all that. And maybe you know all about God. And maybe even so, you don't know God. Because the language of our faith is love. And if we're going to remove the language barrier that keeps us from having these relationships where love can be experienced, we have to understand what the language is. Have you ever been in a room one-on-one -on -one with somebody that doesn't speak the same language? I mean, a country of origin language. I haven't. It's very uncomfortable. It, it, you start to connect, and you go, oh, yeah, uh-huh, um, and you think you know, but you don't, and they think they know, but they don't, and, and before you know it, you're kind of going to your thing, and they're going to their thing, and you're just kind of sitting in this uncomfortable silence together. There's this invisible wall, because language in its very specific form of what we're talking about matters when we're trying to connect with others. And this, this came to light so clearly when I went to Haiti last year with, with Andrew on that scouting mission. And we were trying to uh, see what work we might be able to do. And every mission trip I'd been on, I'd, I'd had the thrill of going to Nicaragua and Mexico. And uh, we always had a translator. And I always depended on the translator. And I thank God for the translator, right? Because how would we connect otherwise? But I always felt after those trips that I connected more with the translator than the people that I was trying to connect with. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna try something different in Haiti. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn some French Creole 
sayings, and I'm going to try them out. I'm going to see if, if I can connect directly with the, the group we're trying to connect with. So first night, I'm, I'm in my room after 2 a.m. I'm going through all these phrases and writing them down and having them in my journal. And I wake up the next day, and I'm rubbing sleep out of my eyes, and I, I start saying things like, Bomba guy, a good thing. You know, I, and I didn't know really what I was saying, and they laughed at me. They laughed at me. I was butchering it. But you know what? They would say, hey, Jeff, what's this? And they would tell me. And what's this? And they would tell me. And I wasn't working with the, the translator. I was connecting directly with the group that we were trying to connect with. And they so appreciated just the effort, the little thing of trying to connect with them in their language. And I said, man, there's something to this. There's something to this, because if we really want to connect with somebody, we need to get into their language, into their world. And so the next mission trip I was going to be part of was Mexico, and, and again, dependent on the translator, and I thought, I'm going to start learning Spanish. I'm just going to do it. So every day, you know, I added a new discipline. The, the first is we read the Bible every morning, right? We all do that. We wake up, we read the Bible every day, because that is our primary spiritual discipline in Scripture. Uh, so after that, I touch every day a little bit of Spanish, and I've been working on it almost a year now. And I, I get frustrated some days because I, I think, am I making any progress? How's, how am I doing? I don't know. And I'll tell you all, this is so cool. I had this uh, meeting with Marco, our pastor in Mexico, and it was a Skype meeting, and it was Roxanne, our director of outreach, and myself, and Marco, who struggles with English, is trying to learn English, and, and it's, it's broken, but he's grateful for the translator, too. And we didn't have a translator. So we were dependent on his English to carry us through this meeting. And he was struggling. He was trying to say something to us, and we were like, well, we don't know what you're trying to say. And so I said, Marco, tell you what, why don't you uh, speak slowly in Spanish, and we'll see if we can track. And so he did. He went into it, and he started just talking slowly. And he went on, and he went on, and he went on, and I'm tracking. I'm tracking. And he go keeps going, and finally Roxanne says, stop. And I said, what? We're doing fine. And she says, what is he saying? And it dawned on me, oh, I didn't even realize I was understanding, you know? So I said, okay, Marco, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell Roxanne what you were telling me in English slowly, and you tell me if I'm right or not. And so I do, and after I'm done, he says, perfecto. And I said, yes! It was fantastico, my friends. It was great. I was so, you know, it's not a bragging proud thing. It's just that it was a breakthrough. Because in that moment, the relationship had deepened. Because I wasn't depending on another to connect with who I was trying to connect with. And when we show concern and effort in learning somebody else's language and trying to con communicate with them to understand them and to be understood in their language, whether that's the language uh, of the country of origin or their culture, or if it's the language of their experience, 
like the folks on the video, you know, if we know the experience that somebody else is having and we can connect with them in that place with them, it shows care and it opens the door to compassion and empathy. And showing that care shows love. And showing that love shows God. Connecting people to people and people to God. So we must be about the work of removing the language barriers that keep us from connecting with others, whether that's specific language or emotional language, whatever it is that's keeping us from having someone feel heard and understood, we get there by removing that barrier. Second barrier, we have this uh, expectation of immediate gratification. You know, and this is what I was talking about a little bit ago when I said, you know, these, these sayings like, you are in the world but not of the world, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. Listen, we are flesh and bone, and we are... Uh, being conditioned by the culture around us in a way that we may not even be aware of. We have all around us signals telling us, conditioning us, that when we have a desire, an appetite, a craving, that that should be filled now. And the world is getting very, very good at giving us what we want in the moment. And you know it's true, you know it's happening, because you're probably a little bit like me. I get to a point now where I didn't before, I get a little irritated if I don't get next day delivery. <laughs> and I get a little hopeful for same day delivery. And I'm even starting to expect same day delivery on some certain things, right? I get irritated when I have to wait a whole week for the next episode of the show I'm watching. Because <laughs> I want the next episode now. And I don't feel good about having to wait till Monday for Chick-fil-A to open <laughs> because I want my chicken now. <laughs> Clearly you get it. You understand. I was, uh, had the opportunity to go to a, a conference with my daughter for her, her music stuff uh, last week. It was in Austin. And the hotel we stayed in, uh, they had the signs that so many businesses have. Our number one goal is customer satisfaction. And they had other signs around that said, if you're not happy, we'll make it right. And I'm like, all right, they get it. They get it, so I'm checking myself along the way. Am I happy? Am I happy? Uh, okay, I'm happy, you know. Because if I'm not happy, guess what? That's somebody else's problem to fix. Because they said, if you're not happy, we'll make it right. We're coming to expect this. You know, we take on this role of, of consumer, of customer, where the the customer is always right. And I like always being right and told that I'm always right. But it's hard in a relationship when the person I'm relating to tells me I'm not right, I might even be wrong. 
I don't feel good about it because the world around me is telling me something else. See, this conditioning of us being the customer, the one to be pleased, spoils us a bit. We come to believe if I'm not happy, somebody else needs to fix it or something else needs to fix it. And Paul teaches us that love is patient and love is not self-serving. There's this blurred line where we're, we're supposed to be sacrificial, but every day we're told that we deserve comfort and pleasure and that we're always right, and so we lose this perspective. And I'm not immune to it. I'm shaken by Paul's writing because I want to be happy now. And I want my craving filled, and I want to be satisfied as the customer. This deserving to be happy now and need for immediate gratification is a huge barrier that keeps us from growing together in the way that God designed and intends. You know, we overcome that barrier, I believe, when we begin to view uh, ourselves in the world as not ones to be served, but to serve. And, and they both come from places of power. That's the risk, because to, to be served, I'm, I serve me. You know, it comes from a position of power, but it can also be by serving others. Like, uh, no, don't you, don't you worry about that. I, I, I'll take care of that for you. But maybe he wants to take care of it. I'm taking the power away, so I'm not being sensitive. I'm not communicating. I'm not connecting. I'm not understanding the language to go there. The best is when we get to the place where what can we do together in serving? And this is a huge barrier to overcome. And, and the third one, it, it leads to the third one. The third one is seasonal or conditional commitment. When we believe that we deserve to be happy all the time and that we can discard things in life that don't make us happy, the risk is we, be, we, we, we come to believe that people and relationships are disposable. Because if I'm not happy in this relationship, then I need a different relationship. I need something else. If we are going to grow, if, if there is hope for us, we have to realize that people and relationships are not disposable. And strong relationships take time to evolve and to grow and to become what they will become. You know, when I was preparing to get married, I, I share this story all the time. You've probably heard it before, and if I've ever worked with you as a couple, uh, whether just in a, in a counseling environment or, or in, a, in a wedding, I've shared it with you, and I will share it again and again and again and again. My grandfather was a minister, and he was going to marry my wife and I, uh, presided at, at the ceremony. And as we're preparing and doing the counseling, he said something that offended me greatly. He said, Jeff, Janine, I don't wish you a happy marriage. I said, what? You don't wish us? How dare you, sir? No, I don't wish you a happy marriage. Because happiness is an emotion. It comes and it goes. You're going to have days that aren't happy. You're going to have weeks that aren't happy. You're going to have seasons that aren't happy. 
If you're expecting happiness, sorry. My prayer for you is that you have a strong marriage, a strong marriage that gets you through the seasons when you're not happy, so that through that season you can come out of it stronger and filled with joy. And I have carried that. We have carried that in our relationship for, for 29 years now. It'll be 30 years next year. And I guarantee you, if I hadn't had that, I don't know that I would have had the wherewithal to stick it out in some of those seasons. But I sit here and worship today, and I, I see what happens when you stay. And I see my daughter, this faith community, raising my kids. And my own daughter being in front, leading in worship with you. Wow. God is good. God is good. But we have to stay. Most of you know that, that I'm a tree guy. I love trees. I love planting trees, growing trees. You know, flowers are pretty, shrubs are okay, but trees are where it's at. And, and I, I say this because I think I'm really about the business of legacy. I love the idea of doing something now in this life that's going to have impact for after I'm gone, right? And, and I think that's also why I'm so plugged in and passionate about what we do as a church together. Because what we do is not just for now, it's for, it's for later. But this tree thing is, is a, a real thing with me, okay? I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but there's an old, old saying that, that goes, uh, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. For the most part, growth is slow and it's gradual. Which means, if there is hope for us as a people, we need to be about the long game. We need to be about the work that is going on, not for the now, but for the then. And it means staying committed and staying through hard seasons in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in our small groups, in our church. I mean, whatever it is, whatever relationship connection you're part of, You have to let the roots go deep and for a while to see good things happen. When you uproot your relationships or the people in your life and try to go on to something else and to something else, you rob the future fruits that those relationships will produce. Let me give you an example of a tree I know. So nine or 10 years ago, we had, we had this lovely couple in the life of our church uh, B and Audrey Scott. Some of you knew them. Uh, they have passed on, and I think we have a picture of B and Audrey. There they are. B was an expert in trees. They were a loving force in our church, friends. They, they, their impact continues even today with, with what they did in the relationships with the people in this church. But B was an expert in trees, and he taught me a thing or two about trees. And, and we really connected around this shared love. And one day before church, uh, I'm getting ready to go into worship, and he comes in with two pecan tree seedlings. And he says, here, Jeff, I brought these for you. They volunteered in my yard. I said, oh, thanks, B, okay. He said, go plant them. I said, okay, I'll go plant them. 
and uh, got home after church, and I went and, and dug two holes and planted the trees, right? One was a horrible location. There wasn't good soil. It died right away. The other one was doing okay for a little bit, but it wasn't very long at all before I, I went out to check on it, and I came to find that it had been ground down to dirt level. And at first, I thought it was a, a mower or something, but I hadn't mowed around. I, I, I knew not to do that, and I was the only one mowing in my yard. So I can't prove it, but I think it was because of this evil force of nature. Evil. <laughs> they look so innocent, but they're not. They're not. <sighs> so I, I was greedy. I said, okay, well, didn't work. Sorry. And I told B about it. He goes, oh, well, oh, sorry. Too bad. <laughs> And I'm mowing out there one day, and I see at ground level this one little leaf bud just popping out. And it was a bud. It wasn't a leaf at all. And it was right on the tip of that stick, but again, at dirt level. And I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. So I got some chicken wire to protect it from the rabbits. I got some bricks. I put the bricks around so that nobody would walk near it or mow near it. I took all the grass out, put mulch down, got a water bag, and I said, grow. And a couple months later, this is what I had. You see, it, it came back. And I'm like, okay, it's working, but you're no tree. I can't sit in your shade. You can't produce fruit for me. What, what good are you? But I said, no, 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 that's the wrong kind of thinking. Let's stick it out. And in the fall, it lost all its leaves. I didn't know if it'd come back next spring. The other day, I went in my backyard, and I took a picture for you so you could see what I call my beacon for bee, right? And here it is. Yeah, right? And, and this year is especially special because it's the first year we get to experience the fruits produced. We finally have the cons. Now, I share that with you because every day I'm reminded, I'm taught by that tree, by, I'm taught by B. Scott. And this tree that, that he, he, he gave me to get started. And I'm reminded that we have to stay with things that are to be long-lasting, season after season, whether it's a tree or a relationship with a person or with a group. And that means enduring through the tough seasons. And this church has such an opportunity for us. It, we have such an opportunity. I mean, we, all of us can tell the stories of how our lives have been touched by being part of this faith community, because it is special. You and I know it is special. And while we get to, to enjoy, uh, you know, the things that God is doing in our midst now, and are enjoying fruits of things that God did years ago, we are even now planting in a way that is going to have impact for generations beyond us if we are faithful and if we stay in it together. It is an opportunity, but growth is slow and it's gradual, and we have to be patient with each other when we are in those difficult seasons and when times are hard, but we persevere. It's like Paul says in Romans 5.34. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And what he tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 7, when he says, love always protects, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. To grow together in faith, we have to be together intentionally throughout the season. So persevere in your relationships with one another. Seek to understand the language of one another in your experiences so that you might have compassion and empathy for one another even when you are very different. Seek not gratification in the moment, but delayed gratification. And seek to serve others instead of being served. And let your roots go deep, being patient, knowing that you will grow. And in time, God will use you. He will use me. He will use us for the purposes that he is fashioning. He will. We just have to be faithful so friends, let's grow. Let's grow. But more importantly, let's grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. Have a great week. See you next time.